This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew 18. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for bringing us here tonight. Thank you, Lord, that we do have that promise before us of going home. Lord, one day we leave this world uh, that we are now living in as, as strangers and aliens and head home. Lord, a uh, place we've never been before, and yet it is home because that's the place you've called us to. It's where we will be with you forever. Lord, as we read your word and meditate on these things and look to you for understanding, may, may we have eternity in view and may that motivate us, Lord, to uh, draw close to you and know you better. May it give us a greater desire to do your will. Lord, as we look at this passage tonight concerning what it means to be great in the kingdom, we look to you to enable us to, to live accordingly. Lord, you've called us. You empower us. And Lord, you receive all the glory and honor. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this morning uh, when Jackie was talking about her contacts, uh, I saw an article this week. I, I didn't read it. I just saw the heading. Uh, but uh, it said, in the future, you'll be able to read your email on your contacts. So I thought that was interesting. Apparently, somebody's already working on that. <laughs> it's kind of scary. I don't know. I uh, would even want that. But uh... <laughs> All right. So I'm not, you know, I'm... I don't know if that's the kind Jackie's getting or not, but. <laughs> okay. Uh, any questions from this morning before we get started? All right, Sam. I'm remembering to do it now. What you got? Um. Well, that whole no, no, I'll probably tell you real quick, but that whole chapter is dealing with that subject, so it's worth reading the whole chapter in regard to what we were talking about, Christian liberty. Um, I think I read this morning, verse 14, yeah, verse 14 and 15 is what I read this morning. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. And that's the issue, is walking in love. Not, not causing any offense to anybody, but walking in love. That's a high calling, right? I was talking to a... Uh, <clears throat> we were actually, you know, having some dialogue, you know, uh, atheists that I know. And, and uh, I, I don't remember specifically what we were, what we were on at the moment, but... Uh, 
I just remember he said, that's a, he, you know, I was sharing some things from the scripture and he said, he said, that's a pretty high standard. And I said, it's the highest. <laughs> it's the highest. But that's what God has called us to as Christians. Be holy. Walk in love. Right. So, so that's in regard to offenses. And by the way, let me just show you this real quick, although I'm not going to I'm not going to deal with all this tonight. But uh, but since I was speaking on it this morning, um, for example, verse 27, chapter uh, Matthew 17, 27, Jesus says, nevertheless, nevertheless, lest we offend, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook. So he's, he's saying, lest we offend them, let's pay our taxes. Um, that word offend, I, mentioned, I, I did mention this morning, that is used repeatedly here. So uh, it's, I think it's very important in the context. Um, I'm probably not going to be dealing with it much tonight in these next few verses. But beyond that, uh, in chapter 18, verse 6, uh, probably at least through 9, maybe further. But, I, but I'll, I'll just show you a few here real quick. Verse 6, chapter 18, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... Okay, if you kind of, uh, they had to word it that way to make sense in the English, but if, if you take that word causes and connect it to the words to sin, down at the bottom toward the middle of the verse, causes to sin, that's actually one word in the Greek. Um, and it's, it's the word we've been talking about. This specifically here, it's uh, scandalitse, but it's, it, again, it's the word from which we, the root is where we get our word scandal. Offend. So what he's saying is, whoever offends one of these little ones who believes in me. But the reason they translate it the way that they did, because this is what he's talking about. If you if you cause them to stumble, if you cause them to sin. All right. So then again in verse seven. Woe to the world because of offenses. Scandalizon um, is is the word again. Um, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So three times he uses it in verse 7. He uses a form of it in verse 6, and then again three more times in verse 7. And then again in verse 8, if your hand or foot causes you to sin. There's that, it's a phrase in the English, but it's one word in the Greek. Uh, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And verse 9, here it is again. And if your eye causes you to sin, that's the word again, scandalitze. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life uh, with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. So that's why I suggest this this whole passage here is having to, and I said through nine. That's actually not true. It's 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 on through verse eighteen. It, when you, I mean, on through chapter eighteen. When you get down to verse fifteen, for example, he he starts talking about what you do if a brother offends you, um, a, a brother in the Lord. So uh, this this whole context, he's he's talking about scandals, offenses. Causing someone to sin or someone offending you. 
um, and, and, and it traces at least as far back as uh, 1622 where Peter rebuked him. And then Jesus says, you are an offense to me. Um, so and this idea just keeps recurring here of offense. And it's not uh, foreign to the first five verses. In fact, that's why I'm mentioning it, because I want us to have that in mind, although it's not specifically mentioned there. But we're going to look at verses one through five tonight. And it still uh, it still goes with it. Um, verse one, chapter 18, Matthew 18, verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. There are parallel passages that I want to read. First in Mark chapter 9. Same event. And then also in Luke 9. Mark 9 and... 33, wrong page, verse 33, then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, verse 34, but they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So Mark's just giving us a little more information here, and there's a, a dispute among the disciples about uh, going on about who would be the greatest. Verse 35, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And let's see. Verse 43, you get the same. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and so forth. And then, yeah, I'll stop there. Let's go to Luke. Luke 9, and verse 46. Again, the same event. Just uh, another account. And Luke gives us a real condensed, Reader's Digest condensed version here. 46 through 48. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all will be great. Okay. So, back to Matthew 18. Here's the the question, the dispute among the disciples. Um, 
Who is the greatest? Verse 1. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I think this reinforces what uh, I was saying earlier about the mindset. Again, if you go back for just a moment to chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, why is Peter doing that? Because what Jesus is describing is not Peter's vision of the kingdom. It's not Peter's vision of greatness. And so, uh, again, I think this reinforces that. And here they are, even though Jesus has now explained to them twice that he's, he must go and suffer and die. And, and we're told that uh, they didn't understand it. Mark says they didn't understand it. In Luke 9, Luke says they didn't understand it because it was concealed from them. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the Lord tells them something openly. And yet, we're told it was concealed from them. In other words, he gave it to them in the ear, but God wasn't giving them understanding of it. And so they were, they were still puzzled by it and didn't know. And even though he had mentioned plainly that he would also, and this is what's kind of struck me for a long time, uh, I can understand if he just said, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die, that they would be, like uh, we're told here, they would be greatly distressed. But he told them both times he's going to rise again the third day. It looks like that would have clicked, right? Well, he said he's going to suffer and die. Now, that's pretty strange, but he also said he's going to rise again the third day. But it's like they just totally missed that. And the idea of suffering and death was not lining up with their thinking as far as him ushering in the kingdom. And so what they're looking for is an earthly, physical kingdom, the reestablishment of Israel as a sovereign nation. Jesus on the throne and them in very high positions. <laughs> that's, that's what they're looking for here. In fact, that's why they want to know who's going to be the greatest. They, they're not including him. They understand he's the Messiah. He's the king. But they're meaning next to you, Lord. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Now, let's, let's uh, acknowledge this as well. Jesus... Uh, you, you might expect Jesus would say, uh, well, don't even be thinking about that nonsense. That's, that's not your concern. That, that really is not how he responds. He responds by saying, you're, the way you're thinking about it is totally wrong. In other words, it's not the desire to be the greatest per se. It's not the desire to be the greatest that troubled Jesus it was how they defined that. I mean, if you want to strive to be the greatest in the kingdom, by all means, do it. But, uh, in fact, I think we all should. But we, we need to have a right understanding. What, what is greatness in the kingdom? Because it doesn't match up with the view of this world. It doesn't match up with the way we, we naturally think. And so that's what Jesus says in his response. Verse 2, he called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. 
Now, uh, he said earlier when we were talking that he was a, a kind of a visual type person. And to some extent, everybody is. Uh, you know, there are different kinds of people. You're either, you're, primarily, you're either audible, audible or visual. Um, not audible. What's the word I'm looking for? Auditory. Thank you. Uh, that, and that's not a place you sit and watch a play, by the way. That's an auditorium. But, okay. Maybe that's why I was getting it. <laughs> You're either auditory or visual, but to some extent we're all visual. That's why Brother Carl does what he does when he goes out and draws pictures and, and does uh, rope tricks and, and that kind of thing. Every time I say rope tricks, you know, I think about, uh, what is it, Will Rogers or whatever. He doesn't do those kind of rope tricks. He does like where he breaks them and then puts them back together, that kind of thing. Why does, why does he do that? Why do other people use that in their presentations? Because it helps get the point across, right? If If... Because, again, to some extent, everybody is visual. If they can see something um, while you're talking, it, it kind of helps. Um, you know, you, you can do stuff like that. You can have some kind of you know, video going <laughs> in the background, whatever. Something visual. So Jesus is giving them something visual. He takes, he takes a child and sets the child uh, in the midst there and says, basically, you want to know what greatness is? Verse 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's interesting, isn't it, on, on several levels. One, one, because it just, again, it runs counter to our thinking, right? You would think he, at least, you know, pull out some kind of uh, Mel Gibson-type character or something and say, you want to be greatest in the kingdom? Here's an example. Or not necessarily him, but one of his characters, you know, Braveheart or something. Um, but he, he gets a little child. A little child. And he says, not, not only doesn't just set, it, set the child forth as an example. Here's an example of greatness. But he, but he even sets the child before them as the Standard, the criteria. If you don't become as a little child, you, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't become as a child, you're not going to make it. Well, what, what does he mean by that? And it's, and it's interesting, again, because that's not the way they would have been thinking. They're thinking in terms of great conquerors, uh, you know, wise men, great people. Not, not a little child. And Jesus is saying, you must be like a little child. And it's interesting on another level, isn't it? Because all your life, you're told to grow up. <laughs> and, then, and now Jesus says, and Jesus says, you've got to be converted. And that, by the way, that's not meaning like salvation, regener, regenerated. The, the word just means turn. You've you got to turn and go the opposite direction. You've got to... You gotta, Turn from your way you are now. You think you're you think you're a man and you're great, and you've got to become like a little child. And that's the same word, incidentally. It's commonly used for turn. Turn. It's the same word that back in uh, again back in chapter sixteen, verse twenty-three. He turned and said to Peter. It's the same word that's used here, translated converted. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are 
converted or turned and become as a little child, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does he mean? You have to become like a little child. Anybody want to take a stab at that? What, 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 what comes to your mind when you hear that? You've got to, you've got to become as little children. Dependent. Well, that's a great word. I'm going to write that one down. Brother Ron, that's a good one. Helpless? Yeah, that's another way of putting it. That's good. Zeal? That's very good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we get told to grow up all the time, huh? I still get told that, but anyway, go ahead. Absolutely. That's very good. It reminds me of a great quote, but I can't remember it, so I can't share it. Is um, I can tell you who it was Ravi Zacharias in, in uh, his book uh, "Can Man Live Without God?" and he just he just uh, has a section in there where he talks about in his words here the propensity of a child to wonder. W O N, you know, not they they have a tendency to wonder too, but. But uh, he's, he's talking about how children just wonder. You can show them. I had a, we had a video somewhere, and all of you parents can identify with this, but uh, we haven't watched it in years because you know how it is. If I, well, they're VHS anyway, and we don't even own one anymore. But if I get out the home videos, then, you know, Leslie, uh, there's mutiny, okay? But uh, <laughs> we had this video of Daniel when he was... I don't even know if he was a year old. And Leslie's walking around with him in the yard. And he's picking up leaves. And, and he's, he is fascinated. That's what, and you can identify with that, right? You've seen kids do that kind of thing. And they're, they're just in wonder. And you know what? That's, yes, that's part of what Jesus is talking about. Because something happens as we grow up and grow older. And we, we lose that. I mean, we, we may get a taste of it once in a while. Um, I can I can remember standing on you know for example standing on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, uh, you know at a safe. I mean I was pretty far back, but but looking out over that thing, uh, you I, at least in my mind couldn't help but wonder, be in wonder. It was just uh, awesome sight, literally. I'm not you know not using the word in a, in a just as a superlative. It was it was an awesome sight. Uh, my, I remember, in fact, I remember my sister-in-law saying, well, you know, it's a big hole. And I'm thinking, a big hole? <laughs> yeah, it's, well, that's one way of putting it. But it, it's, it's amazing. But I'm not, I don't know really the last time I picked up a leaf and done that. And uh, really, we should. I mean, God's creation and God's grace you know, and His majesty revealed. In uh, in just what we think of as normal, everyday, mundane things, we ought to be in wonder. I say, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's great. Um, I didn't have that on my mental list here, but that's that's really good. Uh, in fact, don't you see that in the disciples? Or I mean, see the see it missing. Uh, well, let, let's say it this way: 
here Jesus is, the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, walking in the flesh, conducting his ministry. Everybody he encountered should have just been awestruck. But that wasn't the case, was it? It wasn't the case. They, they lacked that kind of wonder at God's work. Um, many of them did. Some, some of them were awestruck. All right, so we got dependent, helpless, zeal, or wonder, um, could say. So, yeah, those, those are good answers. Uh, anybody else wanted to mention one? Yeah. Teachable? Hey, well, yeah. yeah, that's excellent. Teachable. And I would add, um, this is already kind of implied, I think, but uh, trusting. Um, you can tell a child, you know, and, and it's, I mean, it sounds bad, but you know, you, you can tell a child just about anything, can't you? And, and they'll believe it especially smaller the child. Um, now, you know, of course, the Lord, the Lord is not saying that we need to be gullible. But when it comes to God's word, when it comes to God's kingdom, we should be as a child. In other words, anything God tells us, we ought to just believe it. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13. Love believes all things. It's amazing, isn't it? Love believes all things. Very trusting and, and so, uh, uh, another example, you know, Jesus, we, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Jesus fed the 5,000, comes right back a uh, short time later, and he's in the same situation with 4,000. And the disciples are there again saying, where are we going to get bread to feed this kind of people? <laughs> Where's the trust? You know, I mean, he's in fact, he's already shown that he... He can take care of that problem. But there's no childlike trust. When they're, out on the, uh, when they're out on the sea and the storm kicks up, they're in, they're in terror. And that happened twice that we know of. You know. Once he's in the boat with them, once he comes walking on the sea. And the time that he's in the boat, now that, that time for sure you would think they would be at peace. Because he's there. He's right there with them. But instead, they're in panic mode. And they're waking him up, saying, Lord, we're all going to die. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to wake somebody up, you know. Why not let them go in peace? But um, that's what they do. Hey, Lord, get up. We're all going to perish. And Jesus says, where is your faith? And that's, that's what he's talking about. Where's your trust? So, yeah, all those things are good. Dependence. And, and I think that's what he's saying here. We need to be dependent on him like a child. Look to him for Everything. Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Depend on him for everything. And acknowledge acknowledge your dependence. Vocalize it. I mean, you. it's not that God needs to hear it, but you need to hear it. I need to hear my, my dependence on God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespass. See, we, we, we depend on Him for forgiveness. We depend on Him for sustenance. 
be totally dependent upon Him. Uh, and another way of saying that was the word helpless, and, and we do. We need to acknowledge our, our helplessness apart from Christ. Here, here these men are, I, I think, um, when they're disputing, you know, who's going to be the greatest. Uh, what, what you've got is, I, I think, at least this is implied, they're looking at themselves as achievers, and which one of us is going to outachieve, outperform the other? Who's going to be the greatest? And so they're going back and forth on that. Well, it's me, you know, because I'm good at this or that or whatever, or because I did thus and so, and the other, the other one's coming back, you know, maybe Peter. No, 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 it's, it's, it's me. Uh, you know, I've got natural leading ability and so forth, and, and, uh, I, and I don't mind talking in public and speaking my mind. And so they're, they're going back and forth. Looking to their own ability and saying, basically, um, which one of us is going to outperform the rest and be the greatest in the kingdom? And I also find it interesting, by the way, that uh, when uh, when Jesus asked, I think it was in Mark's account when we were looking and Jesus said, what were you disputing about back there on the road? They didn't want to answer. They, they, they knew that something was wrong with what they were saying. So, yeah, we need to be dependent. We need to acknowledge our helplessness. We need to be teachable. Uh, Again, just looking to the Lord, relying on Him to teach us, to grow us. And we need to trust Him. Let me me show you another passage that I think uh, I've I've thought of, at least, as being helpful here. Again, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And this is more of a, uh, I'm sorry, 14, 1 Corinthians 14. Let's see. Yep, I had to find it here because I don't remember which verse, but it's 1 Corinthians 14. Yeah, okay, look at... um, Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes. But in understanding, be mature. Now, I think this is a great parallel for Matthew 18, uh, although it's, it's, it's not that Paul is talking it's related, but it's not that Paul is talking about exactly the same things here. But Paul is dealing with problems in the church. And he essentially, and he's probably calling the Lord's words to mind here. He essentially tells them the uh, same thing that Jesus told the disciples. You've got to be like little children. But listen to how Paul puts it again. Do not be children in understanding. Now, now, this is one reason I'm going to this passage, because when Jesus says become like a little child, he, d- he doesn't mean that we, you know, we, we just kind of, we don't know anything. We, ju- we just kind of blindly follow whatever. That would go back to what I said earlier about, about being gullible. 
We're not we're not throwing off, uh, you know, because sometimes when you sometimes when you study, and you try to obey the scripture, you know, study to show yourself approved workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and you apply yourself, and and you believe it or not, you'll meet opposition. People will say, try to tell you that's unspiritual, and they say, you know, forget about all that mental stuff. You need to become as a little child. Well. In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. And that's what Paul's saying here. Don't be little children in understanding. I mean, we don't want to have to do potty training again and all that kind of thing. Right? That's not, that's not, that's not what it takes to get into the kingdom. Going back into diapers and unlearning everything. No. Be children, Paul says, in malice. Now, why does he say that? He's dealing here with a church that has multiple problems. And he tells them straight up in, in the first chapter, uh, in early on in the epistle. I think it's in the first chapter. But early in the epistle, he tells them straight up, there are divisions among you, schisms. You're divided. And here we get over here where he's laying out all the instruction, trying to uh, give the remedy for these problems. And he tells them in the midst of this, don't be children in understanding. That, that's one of the problems the Corinthian church had. They were children in understanding. So he says, don't be children in understanding. I don't want you to be, in fact, he, this very chapter. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm not going to go there because I don't have time to find it. But anyway, he tells them he doesn't want them to be ignorant. And so, again, here he says, don't be children in understanding. So, so how are we to be children? Well, in this case, Paul says, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Well, what does he mean, in malice be babes? I mean, he's saying, here's how you're to be children in malice. What, what does he mean there? Yeah, but what does he mean by being children Go ahead and be children in this sense. Yeah? Good point. Very good point. So, so I'll take that too. There's another, another, another way, uh, another thing I want to consider here. Well, but he says be like children in malice. He's telling you to act the way that they act. Okay, that works too. <laughs> All right, I like Mary. Mary's answer is good. There, in other words, they're not as malicious. What she's saying, because they're they're more innocent, and that and that is absolutely true. But and so yeah, Amen. I'll say Amen to that. Also, think of this too. When they are, how long does it last? Usually. I mean, and they just they just get over stuff like that so quick, right? And I think that's what he's saying. Like like Mary said, first of all, uh, you, you just you just need to have less malice, like a little child. A little child has is not as malicious as an adult. So be like children in that sense. But adults typically are easily given over 
to maliciousness, anger. You know, you take things. You don't you don't uh, let things just roll off. You know, you, you take them. You take them to heart. And you're mad, you're angry. So he's saying, don't, don't be like that. Be like children in that sense, because they're not that way. And, and as I was saying, they, if they do get mad, they get over it pretty quick, and it's like it never happened. I mean, you, as, again, parents know, if you have to correct a child, I mean, you, it's, it's like you have ruined their life, ruined their day, it's bad, and that's why that's why so many parents and, and grandparents, especially, are so prone to not want to go there. Right? I don't want to spank them, you know, because it's just it's just hard. And it is; it can be it can be very hard, and it can be a bad scene. But five minutes later, they're fine. In fact, if you if they needed a spanking and you gave them a spanking, they're better. <laughs> but but I, what I'm saying is they don't they don't do typically they don't do what we do, which is just hold a grudge and keep mauling over something. And I, I mean they'll forget about it ten minutes later and go and they'll move on. So you can have a kid that's totally unhappy with you because they're in trouble and they're having to face up to it, and thirty minutes later they're as happy as a lark and everything's fine. They, they release it. It's not something they're going to hold on to. And that's what Paul is saying. That these schisms shouldn't exist. They don't exist very long among children. Children tend to get over those things really quick. So he's saying, yes, you need to be mature and understanding. Being dumb is not spirituality. Right? Being ignorant. People say ignorance is bliss. Um, well, <laughs> you know, if you're standing on the train tracks and there's a train coming and you're unaware of it, uh, it, it may be bliss for a few minutes. But when the train gets there, uh, you know, reality hits and, and uh, ignorance isn't so good anymore. Right. You, you would rather be aware that the train was coming and get out of the way. There, there's nothing spiritual or blissful about ignorance. So he says, be mature in understanding. Don't be children in understanding. Be teachable. Learn, grow, mature. But be children in malice. And I, I think he's saying the same thing Jesus is saying in Matthew 18. Don't hold a grudge. Be dependable. Uh, dependent, rather. Be dependent. Um, acknowledge your helplessness. Wonder at God's works. Be teachable. Be trusting. Verse 4. In fact, Jesus gives us an explanation here that I think harmonizes with everything we just said. Matthew 18, 4 is, is explanatory. You know, he said, "Become turn, you've got to turn, become as little children. If you don't, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest. In the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's, that's a paradox. Like I said, it runs counter to the way the world thinks. You want to be the greatest? Then he takes one of the least among them that they would consider to be the least and puts, puts him out there as an example. You want to be the greatest? Be like this. I mean, somebody who's dependent, somebody who's vulnerable. Helpless, 
And, and Jesus says, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Be like this. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of God. And He will lift you up. Humble yourself as a little child. And you'll be greatest in the kingdom. Jesus doesn't, um, I think, doesn't rebuke them for their zeal to be the greatest. They do have a zeal for that. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Remember Muhammad Ali? I'm the greatest. That's probably kind of what it sounded like while they were on the road. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their desire to be the greatest. His rebuke is targeting their understanding of it. Or I should say their misunderstanding of it. They don't have a clue what it is. So He's redirecting them. You want to be great? Good. Here's how you do it. Come as this little child. Humble yourself as this little child. Let's pray. And then uh, I've got one thing I want to do here before we dismiss. But let's, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And look to you. We, we were just talking about being dependent and helpless. So we know that in this matter, uh, it's no different. When it comes to humbling ourselves, when it comes to uh, turning, converting, and becoming like a child, well, again, even to do that, we're, we're helpless in and of ourselves, and we're dependent upon you for your grace. So grant grace, Lord, grace upon grace, that we may... Humble ourselves and receive more grace, as James says, and that we may truly be like children in the ways that you would have us to, trusting in you, acknowledging dependence upon you, walking in that dependence daily, looking to you as our source, as our provider, protector. And Lord, may it all be for your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.